Hey everybody, I am Kamara McHale and welcome to episode number eight of Conversations with Kamara, the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate, um, you know, you just taking a moment to listen in and I really do. Uh, I thank you. I, I really do appreciate it. Uh, a little bit about me as I do every time I was diagnosed in 2005 with major depressive disorder, acute anxiety disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. At that time, I knew that I needed professional help and I got professional help. Uh, The purpose of the podcast is to have open and honest dialogue about depression and anxiety. The podcast is based on my book, Kept My Enemy Closer, the true story of my 14-year battle with depression. My book is available in Unabridged, Abridged, and Kindle. And we just finished the audiobook, so that's going to be available on Amazon uh, probably sometime next month. I want you to please feel free to share the podcast for people who you know suffer from depression or people who might just want to take a a listen. Um, My Hold Harmless, I'm not a psychiatrist, not a mental health professional, and I'm not a clinician. I'm simplistically just a person who suffers from depression, and I want to tell my story and connect with other people, and maybe we'll help you know, a person to decide to go ahead and call a professional to to have help. So anyways, uh, episode number eight is entitled anguished, which is um, chapter 59 of my book. And my book is in descending order. So it's like it's uh, chapter eight. Alrighty, I will get started with the first paragraph. When I was diagnosed in April of 2005, being married to London, I was desperately trying to figure out how to function, how to not think about everything that was going wrong and had gone wrong in my life. The thoughts that I had um, back then were, you know, my job, I had just been promoted for the third time. Yeah, I had just been promoted for the third time in five years. As soon as I got the promotion, I think it was maybe two, three, four, five, like maybe about five days later that I actually, you know, went through this uh, life crisis. And to me, it was a crisis. And I was not doing well. I was thinking, okay, this new department has entrusted me to come and to, you know, join, you know, with that, that group. And this was like going to be many steps up from what I was doing before. And I didn't want to uh, let them down or delay the, you know, the transfer over to that department. But I'm telling you, I wasn't believing how I was feeling and what I was going through at that time. So even though, you know, sometime later my job was, um, you know, affected, that was like, my, my thing was like, how do I get through the day? Some people say, you know, just get through a day at a time. I literally, at times in my life, I had to get through like five minutes at a time. I was so down. I was so depressed. And remember too, um, I got professional help, like maybe, I think maybe like a, a couple weeks after I started that um, position and it was not a, it was not a piece of cake. It was um, I felt debilitated. I couldn't get out of bed. I wasn't eating. And in my next book, I'm going to show pictures. Um, I put put it on social media over the past two days and it shows me holding my grandson. And when I look at that picture, I know I didn't weigh probably barely 110, 115 pounds. 
I looked sick. I looked like my eyes were set back in my head because that when I go through horrible bouts of depression, that is exactly what happens to me. I get skinny because I don't want to eat. I don't have an appetite and I walk profusely because I'm literally just trying to get by a few minutes at a time. The second paragraph says, I didn't want to feel the mental anguish. I didn't want to feel the pain of the relationships that hurt. Why did my relationships have to end? I longed for the day that I would feel better. I wanted to feel normal again, although I was not sure what quote unquote normal was at that time. Okay, so I... You know, I had just found out that my first husband, I'm sorry, London, I had to pick a name, that he um, had a problem, an addiction to pornography. So that literally like beat me down. And remember now, I'm not telling people what's going on with me. They're just like, like, what is wrong with you? Why are you so skinny? What's going on? Are you trying to lose weight? Blah, blah, blah. And I just felt beat down. So only myself and my then husband, uh, London, knew what was wrong with me. So just think my parents, my children, everybody's like, what is going on? And I literally, I was like, you know, nothing. I'm just, you know, I'm just not, you know, not, not feeling my best. And I know at that time also, I was thinking about, because to me, pornography was cheating. And it just kind of like, I stumbled on it, you know, to find out. So it, literally uh, drained me. And then I thought about, you know, the guy friends. I had a lot of guy friends from, you know, that were police officers, um, that some of them were retired cops. And I had one friend, um, his name is Rick and Rick passed away some years ago and he and I were very close, but I had never heard him say anything for, I mean, some of those guys were just completely like off the chain. I mean, they literally did, they didn't have any respect for their wives, but I really thought about, you know, Rick and the relationship that I had with him. And I, you know, I had met his wife twice, but he was my friend and I loved him, but not that he couldn't have cheated on his wife. I just, he just wouldn't have, no matter if he had whatever temptation, he would still not cheat on his wife. And I have a a friend of mine, his name is Daryl. And I mean, I'm not going to give him a fake name because, you know, he's not in the book, but, but Daryl, Daryl is married to, of course, his wife. And Daryl and I became friends when I uh, joined the city, the police department in 1995. And he became like my brother. And I haven't talked to him, you know, in, in some years. We keep in touch on Facebook periodically, but I know that he loves his wife. He's ne- never said anything out of the way to me. Uh, he's a very handsome man. His wife is beautiful, but I love I'm not saying that their relationship is is perfect, but they, I believe, are faithful men. They love their wives and I appreciated their friendships and they were, you know, like like my brother. Um, So during this time in my life, I wanted to be numb. I didn't want to feel any pain. I wanted the feelings that I was having to, I wanted them to go away. I don't think anybody, of course, are like, whoa, you know, I'm going to triumph through. No, it, it throws you for a loop. And I felt alone and lost. So the person who knew about the onset of depression was my husband, London, but there was nothing that he could do to help me. I couldn't unsee those pictures. I couldn't 
unimagined that every time he was, you know, having sex with me, that he was thinking about those pictures because I have done research my own about pornography. And one thing that stands out is that these men um, are saying that those uh, images are uh, burned in their minds. It's like it does not go away. And I don't know if I mentioned it before, but I was watching an episode of Oprah like back in the day. And I remember at that time watching this, not knowing anything about my then husband, didn't know that he had a pornography addiction. But I remember this man was saying that he it was like this group of men. I don't know if it was 25, 30 men on, on her stage or whatever, but it was all of them. And the wives were in the audience. And one man said that you know, he was so addicted, I'm sorry, he was so addicted to pornography that when his wife had found out and she told him, she said, I'm leaving you. He said that his one thing, he was like thinking to himself, okay, you can go and the child can go, but please do not take away my computer. And he said that because he was so, he had a horrible addiction to the pornography. So even though his wife was going to be leaving him, his, uh, his baby, his child that, you know, had a child that was small. It's like through all of that, he was like, okay, if she's got to go, she's got to go. Okay, take the child. But he was like, whatever you do, oh my God, don't take the computer because I got to have the computer. And he was talking then present day, you know, back then. And it's like his wife was sitting there like, oh my God. But one, I admire his honesty. But two, if that was my husband on, you know, TV where millions of people, I would have been like, Oh my God, I would have been embarrassed. And I know I went through that too. You're embarrassed that you feel that way because pornography is listed as air quotes normal. And it's not, it's anything but normal. I wanted to also talk about uh, medications. Um, I don't name medications because I've learned that with being um, a certified peer facilitator, we are not supposed to like glorify a medication and what works or didn't works for me didn't work for me may or may not work for you. So we are not, we can say we're on medication. We can say we're on antidepressants, uh, anti-anxiety medications, but we do not at all ever name a medication because if I'm in doing a group, if I'm peer facilitating a group and I've asked people, I tell them all the little community guidelines. And if they sit there and they actually name a medication, I am going to stop the group and I'm going to ask them to please leave because that is not, I, you know, I'm not a doctor. I can't say, oh, you know, this might work with this person from what they go through and their weight or whatever. It's different. And I, like I said, I'm not a professional. There's no way that I would even share the medicine that I've, uh, you know, been on. But I will tell you, it's been a lot of different medications because I remember uh, one medication that I found out that Mike Tyson was taking. You know, Mike Tyson is a big man. This was like 15 years ago. That medicine worked for him, but it didn't work for me. So I don't understand why it didn't. I just know that a doctor like my psychiatrist, I have the same psychiatrist for almost 16 years. She's not just a psychiatrist. She's also a medical doctor. So uh, the uh, medications that she's put me on, I know sometimes she didn't say it. I know she was baffled because it's like my body and my brain didn't react to it. Um, and then she would wait a while. She would always tell me, she goes, okay, um, Kamara, she goes, I'm going to, you know, are you comfortable with trying this? And I would be like, I felt like I had nothing to lose. I felt like it couldn't make me feel any worse. So I know off the top, there had to be, 
I would say about eight to 10 different medicines that I took, um, you know, at different times and my dosages, you know, if a a person would take a certain medication, they'd be assigned like uh, 10 milligrams. Literally, I had to have 300 milligrams. And I know everybody's like, what? Seriously, honestly, I'm telling you, my body was just like, no, had my mind had no, like no positive reaction to almost all of these medications. And then I know some medications are like a, I guess like a, a sub-medication where you can take this this pill or whatever, and then you take this as a like a supplement, like a vitamin. Didn't work for me at all. I was very much in the high milligrams of, um, of medications, and then that gets costly. So when I started uh, going to the psychiatrist, I had you know insurance with the city, but at some point, it's like they're only going to cover so much. It's, I, I had a really hard time being assigned a medication and it actually working. But I felt like I was a trooper because I was so desperate in my search to to feel better that I was literally willing to take pretty much anything that my doctor would prescribe. And as I think now, I don't think I mentioned it in the book, but as like a last ditch effort. My doctor talked to me so much about one medication and she said, you know, she said, I'm going to tell you, she said, with this medication, she said, you'll, you might develop certain movements with your, your mouth, your tongue. And she said, you could even lose your hair. And I could have been like, well, you know, I don't want to lose my hair. She told me some years later, she said, she said she was actually in awe she said, and she shared it with her medical staff. I don't know if she went to a conference or whatever, but she was saying, she said, I had a lady, you know, she mentioned my name, but it's still like their peers. So it really wouldn't have bothered me. But she said, I have a lady, a patient of mine. She said, and I explained to her what this medication likely will do to her. I said, even, she said, even to lose her hair when she was talking to them, she said, and my, she said, and my patient said, it's okay. I wouldn't mind being bald if it was going to make me feel better. And I literally, I know that was a big thing. I literally needed desperately to feel better because I was to the point where I was not functional. All right. So I think, um, let me go ahead and read this last um, paragraph on this page of page 39. It said, I wanted to be numb. I didn't have to feel happy, but I did not want to feel the emotional pain of my marriages. I wanted to be strong, but I didn't know how. I was lost. I was hurt. Depression ruled me. And depression ruling me was, it's like when I'm getting ready to work up, wake up in the morning, it still happens when I'm feeling that way. But it's like, I'm asleep. I finally go to sleep. And then I can, you know how you feel yourself waking up? When the little inkling where I'm coming into consciousness of waking up, I am literally feeling the heaviness of the, it's like I already know that when I open my eyes for the day that I'm going to be, it's like depression is going to be sitting on my chest. And I've talked to other people, you know, who suffer from depression and they didn't say it was like sitting on their chest. They're just like, when they woke up, they're like, oh, I'm feeling great. And it's like, oops, I'm sorry. I'm suffering from depression. I don't know. I guess mine was a little bit different. So the people I talked to, they didn't have the sitting on your chest depression when they woke up. Mine was, I could feel myself coming into consciousness, but depression was right there. I didn't have time to say, 
oh, okay, well, what, what am I depression? No, it, it was right there. It was on me, it greeted me, you know, in the morning or in the middle of the, of the night. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and go to um, a question from my website of conversationswithkamar.com. So we have um, a, a listener. Her name is Reba, and she's in Tennessee. So she said, Kamara, what is your family dynamic? Okay, I am 54. I am the youngest of four children. My mom is 80 years old. My siblings are, my sister is 62. Um, I have a brother, Gerard, he's 60, and I call him Scott in the book. I don't know why, but he's 60, and then I have my brother Marlon. He's 58. My kids are, my daughter is 35. She'll be 36 in May. My son is 31. He'll be 32 in June. Me and my brothers are, me and my brothers are close. Me and my sister, we are not, you know, talking right now. We haven't talked in over a year. And I know that it's my fault. Um, I was in my feelings about, you know, when my dad passed away in, in November of uh, 19 and I stopped uh, talking to her. And I know, you know, I just had some feelings and I have not reached out to her, you know, to, I don't know about apologizing. I know many, many moons ago, me and my sister, we went through 10 years, we went through a whole decade of not talking. And I think it started with her back then. And then I started, I didn't even think about talking about this. I started having these dreams. And I remember I was at USF Department of uh, Behavioral Health. And that's where I met um, my my therapist uh, that I've you know been with for almost 16 years. So I was in sessions with her three times a week. I remember after a while, I don't know if it was a year or two, I started having these dreams about my sister and dreams that we were going to, you know, one day, you know, talk. And, you know, I'll speak about that more some other time um, about her, you know, my relationship with her. Um, I have another question real quick. Um, Robert in Camden, New Jersey, he said, Kamara, thank you. Thank you for sharing very private thoughts with us. I want to ask you what medications you have been described, uh, prescribed. And I just want to say thank you for your question, but I am not allowed to name the meds. But all I can tell you is that, um, tell you and the listeners is that I was on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. And as a certified a peer facilitator or as a lay person, I am not allowed to speak on specific meds because literally it's like glorifying the medications and I can't name them. But thank you for your question. Um, I think that's going to be it for now. I'm going to go ahead and close out. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you. Thank you for your time and I appreciate um, you and I look forward to spending time with you again next week. Don't forget, visit my website, uh, Conversations with Kamara, Conversations with K, Conversations with Kamara, K-A-M-A-R-A.com. Please send a hello or send your questions to me on the contact page of my website. Again, my book has kept my enemy closer and is available on Amazon.com. That is it. Please have a wonderfully productive day. Thank you so much. Have a great day.